Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you don't know where to start? Maybe you're overwhelmed by all the tech or you're convinced nobody will actually listen to you. Well, I'm Shauna Game. After nine and a half years as a professional podcaster, at this show, everyone's talking money. And 25 million downloads later, let me tell you the secret to a profitable podcast. It is building a solid foundation, your podcast roadmap before you launch. That's why I created the Podcaster Class, a fast-paced group cohort podcasting for profit eight-week style NBA program. The Podcaster Class is immersive, comprehensive, and insanely motivational. If you want to create a podcast, DIYing a launch is just not the way to go. In the Podcaster Class, you'll get the tools, tips, and strategies to create a podcast that resonates with listeners and one you can be proud of. Get this. 90% of podcasters never make it to episode three. That's 2.8 million podcasters who just quit. So to be a top podcaster, you only need to publish 21 episodes, but you got to make them good. So in the podcaster class, I'm taking the mystery out of how to create, launch, and profit from your podcast so you can create a top 1% podcast just like this one. The May cohort is now open for enrollment. Classes start May 22nd. There are only 15 spots open. You are going to learn podcasting with me and 14 other amazing people. You can learn all the details at thepodcasterclass.com. Use code podcast when you sign up for $100 off. That's thepodcasterclass.com. You know I'm a big fan of enjoying life while still being smart financially. That's why I love ButcherBox. I can get a variety of high-quality meat, seafood, chicken, and pork at an amazing value, all with exclusive member deals delivered to my door with free shipping always. One thing I just never wanted to cut out of my spending plan is eating good food. And with ButcherBox, I don't have to, and neither do you. Where else can you get free protein for a whole year? Yes, you heard that right. One of my favorite go-to dinners is a salmon bowl. I'm not even a huge salmon lover, but ButcherBox's wild-caught salmon is Oh, so good. I make a nice little marinade, saute some veggies, cook the salmon, and throw in some weiss. And it is an amazing dinner. If you want to take less trips to the grocery store and always have prepared meat in the freezer for a lot less money, you need ButcherBox in your life. Sign up at butcherbox.com etm and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash etm. Hey, I'm Shauna Compton Game. This is Millennial Money, and today we're talking the power of your money story. right? So I feel like I can talk to you about a potentially sensitive subject that I think isn't talked about very much when we're talking about the financial success that people have. Because in case you don't know, the power of your own money story is, well, in a word, it's it's pretty powerful. 
it can often be the difference between you having the life that you envision versus the life that you feel has been handed to you. And I I speak of this personally. I have personally understood the power of my money story. It's something that I've overlooked in the past. And then when I fully understood kind of the components that go into your money story and how you can reframe and change your money story, that to me was really where the light bulb started to go off. It's not that all of a sudden I got handed a ton more cash or that my bank account looked different or that my savings was different. It was just thinking about money in a different way opens up this kind of like portal in your brain to see things differently, right? To be able to adapt, to change, uh, to make small steps that maybe you wouldn't normally make, but, but really just to understand kind of the philosophy, the psychology behind why you've made certain decisions over your life. And I know this personally from from me, but also from working with hundreds and hundreds of people over the last 11 years, I've seen how powerful when we talk about money story and, and we start at money story before we're even trying to solve any other money issue, how things can really dramatically change for someone in a way that they just never thought was possible. You know, a lot of people have been, and you may be in this situation too, you know, a lot of people have been trying to change things for years and nothing really has been changing and it's frustrating. So, you know, your kind of irrational side of your brain goes like, okay, well, if I can't pay off debt or if I can't save money or if we can't buy that house or if we can't, you know, send our child to private school or whatever it may be, then you know, to hell with it. I'm just going to do whatever I want with my money anyway, because whatever I was trying wasn't working. And that's really where like the pitfall comes in and why it's so hard sometimes to like pull yourself out of a crevice when you get in it, right? Because the brain is so powerful. I'm going to use the word powerful like a million times in this podcast episode, but it's the most, I think, pertinent word to choose because it really is. And I think then when you understand that power, then it's kind of like, oh, you know, it's that light bulb moment that I'm hoping, you know, you you have. The emotional side of money, like I said, it's so overlooked when it comes to talking about success. Like, how did someone achieve a goal when they had very little money to do so? You know, you've probably read these stories on social media. Maybe some of your friends have done this. Maybe they've opened a successful business, or maybe they've bought, you know, their dream home, or I don't know, maybe they've been able to leave the job that they're at and go travel abroad for a year. And you're thinking like, how can they do it? Because, you know, from the outside looking in, it doesn't look like they have a lot of cash, but they were able to make kind of this, you know, giant leap in their life. You know, how does somebody win the lottery and then go bankrupt? I mean, if you read statistics about lottery winners, it doesn't look good for people who have won the lottery. You know, how do you let your beliefs about money affect your relationship? I.e., you know, the man has to make all the money, right? And, and that's just what you go on believing. So you walk away from potentially great relationships because you kind of come with that belief. Or maybe you've been told by your parents or or a friend or a brother or sister or somebody in your past that you're no good with money. 
right? So somebody told you you're no good with your money, you're just going to be no good with your money. And I think that you know, we don't step back and really look at those things. And sometimes it's just, it's sometimes it's literally just stepping back and looking at them and having an awareness, right? So you're not really, you're not really doing anything dramatic. You're not really changing anything dramatic, but you're kind of going like, oh, hmm, okay. You know, uh, psychologists and experts tend to suggest that our money beliefs and our own money stories have been shaped by the age of seven years old. And that's really young to me. Like, I don't think I have many memories back to seven years old. I know a lot of people do. A lot of people have like really great memories when they were kids. I don't tend to remember a lot of the little things. I remember a lot of the big things. But you know, all the experts suggest that the things that we have seen and experienced and heard up to that age are the things that really kind of set our money story in motion. And then, you know, we get to like our 20s and 30s and we're like, why are things maybe not going the way we want to? And we don't actually step back to think, Oh, I wonder if like somebody shaped my money story and the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing now is because of something I learned or heard or saw when I was a child. Like we don't often do that because what we tend to do is just judge ourselves, you know, in our 20s and 30s. Like, oh, I made that really stupid decision or oh, I shouldn't invested in that thing or oh, I shouldn't have bought that house or bought that car or I shouldn't have married that person or I shouldn't have taken that job or, you know, whatever it may be. Like we tend to blame it all on, uh, you know, some stupid mistake we made versus really like stepping back and going, wait, is there is there a reason why I've maybe made those decisions or is there a reason why certain trends seem to be emerging in my life that, you know, maybe I haven't thought about? So behavioral finance, this kind of um, hip word now, it emerged really as a discipline in the early 1990s, but it really became more prevalent during the financial crisis of 2008. Uh, It was always there, but I think during that crisis, what it really exposed was uh, the emotional side of money and, and what was happening externally in you know the stock market, in the housing market, you know, with families, with businesses, all sorts of things was really maybe partly because of what was under the surface that hadn't been talked about. You know, why were people taking out home loans for years and years and years that they couldn't afford and that they didn't have a down payment for? Yes, you know, the mortgage companies obviously shouldn't have given those people a mortgage. You know, maybe you were one of them. I I don't know. You know, maybe you shouldn't have have received a mortgage. I don't know. You know, I'm not going to make that judgment, but all I'm saying is so then what was the behavior? for that person who got that loan, who knew they couldn't afford that house. Do you see what I'm getting at? Like we almost have to take it back a few steps and we have to go back to like real basics to the building blocks to understand, well, why was that home purchase so important? And why was it so important that, you know, that person knew they couldn't afford the house, but they still went through it anyway, right? And then what happened, you know, in 2008, when everything, you know, the, you know, what hit the fan, uh, 
uh, and people couldn't afford their variable interest payments on their home loan, right? They just started escalating and escalating and escalating. That's when everybody had to default on their house, you know? And uh, I, I guarantee you, if you look at, if you probably interview, you know, therapists and psychiatrists from that time period, most people were going to those particular experts and doctors for money stress, because it's just a lot of stress, you know, but you almost, again, have to take it back 10 steps. Like, okay, why did we make a particular decision when we knew maybe it wasn't a great decision? See, it's interesting. It's very, very complicated and it's interesting. So research has found that the negative emotions hit us with an intensity that's two and a half times as strong as positive emotions because they're signaling a disturbance you should tend to. This is a quote from Maggie Baker, who's a PhD and also the author of Crazy About Money, how emotions confuse our money choices and what to do about it right? It's really interesting. So, you know, when we make decisions about anything, right, there's a rational part and there's an irrational part. So rational is like, you know, taking a new job that where you're going to make more money. That's a very like rational and normal decision, right? Most people would go, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. You know, irrational, like we said, you know, buying a house or a car that we can't afford, but we're hoping we can, you know, that is more of an irrational decision because you're hoping that the future changes, which is something that I can completely understand. And I can completely completely sympathize, empathize, whatever the word is, because I have lived this out myself. I have made plenty of irrational decisions on the hopes of that, you know, somewhere down the line in the future, something's going to be different. Well, those irrational decisions just don't always, you know, tend to work out the way we like, right? We tend to make more irrational decisions because they make us feel good. Ah, yeah. Like Black Friday shopping, the holidays, the intensity, Cyber Monday, all of it. You know, we feel this emotional response when we spend money and it's usually a good emotional response, right? So why do you think we line up at like 3 a.m.? Not because we're going to get a free toaster. Who cares about the free toaster? It's because it makes us feel good to win. It makes us feel good to uh, get a deal to be part of, you know, hysteria to make that purchase, right? It is a positive yet sometimes, usually most of the times, irrational decision. You know, if, if you think about when you're shopping, right? And there's all these stores with all these different brands. Let's just take like jeans, for instance, you know, like jeans are jeans are jeans, right? I mean, is there a huge amount of difference between like a $30 pair of jeans and a $130 pair of jeans? I don't know. Maybe you could argue, yes, there is. You know, maybe the $130 pair of jeans are made better than the $30 pair of jeans, but at the end of the day, they're jeans, right? They're denim or black or whatever color is your choice. And they're, they're usually made out of the same material, you know, and yet irrationally, we have been trained in our brains that, you know, certain brands are better than other brands and certain brands that come from other stores are better brands. Like, you know, if we're shopping for jeans at like Nordstrom, we're probably going to expect to pay more money than for shopping for jeans at Old Navy, you know? And so perception kind of comes into our brain and we're like, well, 
I want to be wearing that pair of jeans from Nordstrom's, not that pair of jeans from Old Navy, even though like nobody is going to walk up to you on the street and be like, hey, let me check your label in the back of your jeans to see where you got your jeans. No, nobody does that, right? If somebody does that, that is a little weird. I would think that would be very weird. Uh, And yet we know where we got the jeans. And so we let kind of that emotional decision about money affect all sorts of things, how happy we are, uh, how we feel in our circle of friends, you know, all of these kind of weird things that get muddled up in our brain. So no judgment at all, but usually overspending is some sort of emotional response, you know? Let's think about investing. You know, a lot of people become actually overconfident when it comes to investing. So, you know, they invest, maybe it's their first time investing. Um, You know, a lot of people have been investing in Bitcoin. Well, if you got in at the right time with Bitcoin, you probably made some cash, right? And you could get overconfident thinking like you are suddenly the investment guru of all gurus, you know, and overconfidence isn't exactly what it sounds like. You know, sometimes this bias is caused by, you know, an investor who thinks he or she knows more than other people, you know, or it's that guy or girl who caught like 15 minutes of mad money and heard Jim Cramer, you know, screaming and then gives a lecture, you know, at like a dinner party or at happy hour about, you know, the new stock pick, the stock pick that you should have. But this, this overconfidence bias, it also refers to people who focus too intently on what they know, right? So you can be overconfident in a specific field and fail to really branch out. And as a result, you know, your investing strategy isn't what it should be, right? I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know, it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete Me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. (laughs) I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and enter code etm at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash etm.
Go to joindeleteme.com slash ETM and use code ETM for 20% off. Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical? If that's you, please, please take me with you. Or maybe you want to just grow your emergency fund because let's be real, life is expensive. I want to make sure you reach your goals. So you need Monarch. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress towards your financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. Here's what I love. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can change the layout of your dashboard. You can go between light and dark mode. You can create custom budgets and notifications. You can set up all of these automatic rules for your transactions and notifications and so much more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving their product. Get this. They release updates every two weeks and they even allow customers to submit suggestions vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. This, my friend, is totally original. Plus, they will never sell your data to third party or show you ads. I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash ETM for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. <laughs> I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Nerdwallet finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited and it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince and I am in love. Quince is your go-to place from everything from premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless, 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part of all, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Okay, I bought the dreamiest pair of workout leggings and a bright pink workout top to match. Honestly, ladies, I gotta tell you, these leggings you need. 
the price cannot be beat. And I feel like a million bucks wearing this cozy workout friendly outfit. I've worn it for like five days straight. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash etm for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's q-u-i-n-c-e dot com slash etm to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash etm. You know, I know a lot of people are like, well, I am only going to buy Amazon stock, Google stock, and Apple stock. Well, that is really fantastic. And if you got in at the right time, like three cheers to you because you have definitely made more money than the rest of us. But chances are that something might happen to those three, one of those three particular stocks. I don't have a crystal ball, so I don't know, you know, and then, um, you know, only being invested in three stocks might not end up to be the best the best scenario for you. But we all come with, you know, a built-in money story. We can't help it. You can't wish this away, right? It is there. It just a lot of times isn't um it isn't looked at enough to understand how it shapes your future, how it shapes the the future decisions you're going to make, the future success you're going to have, um, and then really how you, again, think, act, and feel about money. Especially, I find this super important when you're dealing with relationships because that is adding like a whole other level of complexity onto the power of your money story. And if you haven't taken time to understand the power of your spouses or boyfriend, girlfriends, or partners, whoever it is, even your roommate to understand their money story enough so that you can understand why they may be saying certain things about money, why they might be doing certain things around money. Um, you know, a lot of times couples are, you know, screaming at me that that one person is just completely overspending and they just cannot understand it. And so, you know, I'll walk, let's like, let's walk back to the basics. Let's walk back to the money story. Let's understand maybe why this person has a proclivity to overspend, you know, and let's understand what overspending is, right? And then we can try to fix the behavior because if we're just looking at like all of these tools and techniques to slap on top of them, it's not going to work. <laughs> I mean, have you ever tried to like lose weight or run a marathon or anything like that and half-ass it and have it work? Okay, there may be some of you. There may be some of you who are just like naturally good runners and and I am not one of those. I'm not a long-distance runner at all. I get bored on like you know, a 20 minute run. I'm like, okay, I am done talking to myself, but that's just me. You know, that's just not my, my particular strength. And so I know like anytime I'm approaching a big goal, like I have to have a strategy plan. I have to have an action plan. I have to have something that I follow each and every day. I have to like, I have a mantra that I'm reciting to myself, all of these things to make sure that, um, I achieve the goal. And really, it's kind of the same way of thinking about how you change your money story or how you reframe it. So, the first thing you should know is you can absolutely change it, but you got to understand it first. You got to understand why you make certain decisions, what your triggers are to those decisions, uh, especially the ones you don't like, like, you know, credit card debt or making irrational purchases or whatever it may be. We all have something. We all have something that we don't like, you know, so whatever 
that thing is, it doesn't have to be a big thing. It could be a small thing, but whatever it is for you, likely it feels like a big thing, right? So there are a lot of triggers and a lot of these triggers cause, you know, anxiety. There may be anxiety in your life that's causing you to make certain money decisions, maybe jealousy about, you know, what, what a friend has, or even somebody in your family. Like we talked about overconfidence is a big one. And overconfidence is like, you know, it's funny because a lot of times people don't think that overconfidence could be part of somebody's money story, but it absolutely could be, you know, Uh, feeling overwhelmed, guilt, guilt is a big one. A lot of times I find that, uh, you know, if you grew up in maybe a, a household where your parents fought all the time about money, or maybe they were divorced and there was always this issue about money, a lot of times it has nothing to do with you, but you've carried kind of that guilt with you. And then you've made certain money decisions because you're hanging on to somebody else's guilt. It doesn't really have anything to do with you, but it's just part of your story, right? And then, of course, sadness, regret, embarrassment, all of those things are big triggers to our money story. And then, you know, connect the vision you have with your life with your bank account. You know, if, if you're not where you want to be, which most of us aren't, most most of us aren't living our total idyllic life. We may never actually get that total idyllic life, but we can certainly strive towards that. We can strive towards, you know, the the dreams and goals that we have in, in our heart. So what is one positive change that you can make today? Just one little thing that will help kind of set you down a different path and maybe maybe help you overcome a little bit of your money story. And then lastly, just understanding that we are all more alike than we are different. And I'm, this is such a simplistic concept, and yet most of us really overlook this, right? So chances are your best friend, a family member, your spouse, your girlfriend, boyfriend, somebody in your life has felt something similar to what you're feeling or has gone through a similar money story. No one's going to go through the exact same money story, right? That's yours. You own it, own it with pride. It is yours. You know, you've received the certificate in the mail. Uh, It is yours. But other people can really help you understand your money story and then reframe your story. But more importantly, I found that other people can also help you create positive actions around your weaknesses. So being able to say to somebody, you know, I tend to make these certain decisions about money or think this way about money, or maybe I don't stand up for myself at work when, you know, we're talking about raises. I mean, it could be absolutely anything, right? But talking about it with somebody else and saying, hey, can you maybe help me understand why I do certain things in certain circumstances? Sometimes somebody else can really shed some light. I mean, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to hear. It's not always fun stuff. But I think when you can step back like two steps away from yourself and really look at like, okay, what happened to me as a child? You know, what happened to me during college? What happened to me right after college or during my first job? Where am I now? What are certain patterns that have been repeated in my money story? And then is there any correlation between those? You know, is there any way maybe I can make a small little tweak or change in the future and maybe start, you know, uh, correcting some of that behavior. You're never going to you're never going to get rid of your money story. Your money story is your money story, but I think when you have this awareness that 
behavioral finance, the way we think, act, and feel about money has a real powerful relationship to our success, to what we deem as success, then I think you can really start making some some calculated, some strong, some great changes uh, that are going to really help you feel differently about your financial situation. As always, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Shauna Game. And if you love this podcast, do me a favor, share it with your friends, shout it out on social media, and head on over to the link in the show notes and leave us a review. 